The following message is from the 2012 IBCD Summer Institute, Changed by Grace. Good evening. Uh, Tim Lane talked about change in general, and I'm going to talk about change more specifically, although I'm going to incorporate general principles of change in this. Um, It's going to be kind of a broad overview of what the scripture says about food sins, essentially, and not just for food and body, idolatry, gluttony. It's not going to be a comprehensive, you could have a whole session on anorexia, bulimia, and all the different problems people have, so I'm not going to go into those things in depth, but I would say that the principles for these different situations are very similar. There's some seats way up at the front, which is the last place you want to be when you came in late, but you're welcome to have them. And uh, that may encourage all of us to be early. Uh, So let me lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the good gifts you give us, including the good gift of food and our bodies, which have been made according to your purposes and are fearfully and wonderfully made. Help me to give encouragement to my brothers and sisters from your word. We pray that what is said will be true, it will be edifying, and that you will be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, It's kind of interesting in our culture how food and body image are a really big deal. There's a food channel. You know, have celebrity chefs. Uh, many people live to eat. It's interesting also, like with the health care plan on a national... Go- I'm not going to be political about that, but I will say that one agenda point is they want people to lose weight so they'll be more healthy so the government won't have to spend so much money. And you've got the first lady telling people to eat less and exercise. Um, So we're obsessed with the pleasure of food, but we're also somewhat obsessed as we're we're heavy, but also are becoming obsessed with with fitness. And according to WebMD, about two-thirds of Americans are overweight, and about a fourth of us are categorized as obese. Um, It's funny how different cultures look at things. Many years ago, I was in India, no, I was in Asia, and I was getting tailored for uh, clothes, and a very thin man is measuring me, a wisp of a man compared to me, and I was probably 40 pounds heavier then than I am now, and I was kind of saying, well, I'm kind of a big guy, and he says, no, you're prosperous. <laughs> <laughs> and even in the Bible, sometimes, you know, the, the wicked are fat in Psalm 73, and that means they've got enough food, uh, but now it's hard to be heavy. It's, uh, there's a stigma to it. It's hard when you go to Costco and they don't have clothes your size. It's hard uh, because just culturally, uh, it's something that people don't look upon it as prosperity now. And it's something, too, where many of us, and this is an area of personal struggle for me over my entire adult life, that you, you try, you know what to do. Eat less, exercise more. You don't, you don't need to go to seminar to learn that. But you pray about it, you ask God to help you, and then you fail and fail and fail again. Or you finally knock some weight off, and you feel like, wow, things are better. 
and then a year or two later you're back where you were before. It's an area of tremendous discouragement for many, many believers. So it's hard to be overweight. Uh, And then again, we're obsessed with fitness, Biggest Loser, popular TV show. It's estimated that $50 billion a year is spent on dieting. And yet, for all that, the rate of obesity is increasing, which is some irony. Um, gym memberships, personal trainers, home fitness equipment, uh, gimmicky things and alternative medicine. Here's the fat-burning pills. You can eat whatever you want. And, you know, this is the, the pill that sucks the fat out of your food and sends you to the bathroom for the rest of the day. Um, you know, all these different fad diets, this scientist, this doctor says this, that, and the other, they all contradict each other. Some people turn to surgery. Uh, I've had counselees liposuction. I've also had counselees who wanted their wives to get breast implants, facelifts. Um, you know, people do the lap band thing, gastric bypass. And even people in reasonable shape. You go to the gym and then you look at the next guy and think, wow, he's still got better than I, and and there's no contentment there. Uh, Food problems create many counseling issues. Uh, Again, the issue is really for food, or usually have something to do with idolatry. Um, People will come in saying they have poor self-esteem or shame because of their heaviness or trouble or fear in relationship to the opposite sex. Again, many people Yo-yo dieting, books, everyone, Atkins, South Beach, you know, going back however far. More serious issues come up of anorexia where someone is literally starving themselves to death or between the not eating and exercise, they're, they're wasting away. There's a girl in, in, when I was in high school, one of the head cheerleader people ultimately, I think, killed herself uh, with anorexia. and You could kind of watch it happening. And... Um, Bulimia, where they eat, you know, binging, then purging. Um, I'm not going to go all those things in detail. There are good articles in the Journal of Biblical Counseling, some of which by Elise Fitzpatrick, as well as uh, her books, that address that. But you know, I'm really most interested in, in the spiritual issues involved. Um, Elise writes, your eating is a mirror upon your heart. I think probably eating and money both are, you know, Eating, time, and money, I'll say, are three mirrors in terms of what our hearts really desire. Uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit, a fruit of the Spirit, is, is self-control. Uh, sometimes we struggle with pride, uh, the idolatry of looking to food to satisfy us, or the idolatry is I must have a perfect body in order to be happy. Uh, this is a topic you don't hear that often. I mean, we've been blessed last year, Shannon McCoy addressed it. Uh, we're doing it again this year, but you could go to a lot of counseling conferences and a lot of Christian conferences and not hear that. And one reason is you look at the pastors and you see it's probably something not that they're not entirely comfortable addressing. Um, preachers as a, a general rule. And it's also kind of interesting that uh, it's in many church settings, uh, you know, there are certain sins that they'll talk about a lot. Gluttony is one that isn't discussed as much. Uh, now, I would also say that just because someone is big does not necessarily mean, since we're to love hopes all things, some people may not be gluttons and may be big. Some people have things going on with them medically, otherwise, that they may be doing reasonably well in self-control and just struggling that way. And I've, 
I've had friends before, especially kind of ladies in midlife and beyond, and eating like bird seed, it looked like to me, and just nothing was happening in terms of taking it off, unless she was lying to us all, which I don't think she was. Um, so, it, in one level, it's more socially acceptable than being a drunkard or being immoral. On the other hand, it's harder to hide if you're a glutton. Uh, the Bible does say a lot about food. I'm going to survey some of that now. In Genesis, God, you know, I've given you every plant yielding seed on the surface of the earth, every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And you go further into Genesis 9, and uh, animals are added that every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give it all to you as I give the green plant. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 that God is, you know, that some people forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. I'm thankful I'm not a dog. Because I had a dog for a long time. We'd go to Costco and buy these 50-pound bags of the same thing that dog ate every day. I'm glad that the strawberries and the blueberries and the blackberries are in season. I'm glad that sometimes my wife fixes me a steak and a baked potato. I'm glad for all these things God has made, and they are to be enjoyed to His glory as a gift from Him, just like sex and marriage and beauty and creation and all of these aspects of life. So food is not bad. Uh, but it's also interesting, the first sin had to do with eating. And many other subsequent sins have to do with food. Esau sold his birthright for food, didn't he? The Israelites grumbled about food, didn't they, in the wilderness, and wanting to go back to Egypt to get the food there. They wanted a secure and a varied and secure food supply in their unbelief, and then they became picky eaters when they got nothing but manna. In the Old Covenant, though, a blessing of the Old Covenant was to be in a land with plentiful food. That you know, your, your, your basket, your kneading bowl be full. It's a, the land flowing with milk and honey. And especially as most people through history have lived, when they would pray for daily bread, that's because they didn't have a refrigerator and a pantry full of it. For God to have given his people a land with lots of food was a great blessing for them. But on the other hand, when they were unfaithful, he said the food would stop. And it stopped raining, and they needed rain to make food. You'll, you know, your land will turn into powder and dust, and you're going to be hungry. Even in the New Covenant, in Matthew 6, uh, well, I'll go back to the Old Covenant, it's vivid there, you'll bring out much seed to the field and gather in little. You know, so when they disobeyed God, they went hungry. But in, in Matthew 6, it says, don't worry about what we'll eat, what we'll drink, how we'll clothe ourselves. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. But even then, in the New Covenant, God doesn't want us to be consumed with fear over having enough, but rather a blessing of the New Covenant is the food God gives us. And then you combine that with 1 Timothy 4. It's been given as a gift from God for us to enjoy as we give thanks to Him, receive it with prayer, uh, it's a blessing God has given in common grace that even speaking to the pagans, you know, God gave you rain and gave your, satisfied your hearts with food and gladness. It's an evidence of the goodness of God that unbelievers are also at soup plantation tonight or outback or wherever they shop. Um, also, you know, he even feeds the animals 
the, the Psalms say. And then the Bible, fellowship around food is very significant. Uh, the Lord's Supper itself, but you know, church discipline is you're not allowed to eat with that guy anymore. He's not allowed to eat with you. It's part of being in the community to share meals together, not just the, the communion meal in, in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, but God's people in families and the church community gather together in celebration of, of good food that God has given us. Now, the scripture also says that uh, your heart, back to the kind of the body image thing, is your heart, God looks at the heart, not at outward appearance. And so it, our, our nation's obsession with body is unbiblical. Food is also beneficial because if you've ever had a fast, uh, maybe a deliberate fast, some of us made them without food, not by choice for a while, it makes you feel how weak you are, and it's a picture in the Bible. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So God even uses our appetite for food as an illustration of how we need Him, but also it demonstrates how weak and dependent we are, uh, both physically and spiritually. The physical hunger is a, is a symbol of our our spiritual need. I, I love it in First Peter that, like newborn babes, long for the milk of the word, uh, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Even the enjoyment of God, taste and see that the Lord is good. That image of enjoying something to eat is an image of, of a picture of how we can enjoy God. Uh, but again, not by bread alone. It's by the word of God that we truly live. And even in the new heaven and the new earth, that. It's talking about eating of the tree of life and marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus, when he was raised, ate fish apparently with his disciples. And there is no commandment in the Bible to be thin. There's no thou shalt be thin. It may be in the Health Care Act, but it's not in the Bible. Uh, The Bible also talks about exercise. Bodily discipline is of only little profit. We actually had a group in our church that was the, the I forgot, the, it was a different translation. It was kind of the group of little prophets. So they'd get up on Saturday morning and go bike or walk or ride together. It's of a little benefit. But of course, it's godliness that is profitable for all things. Uh, Paul often uses a race or physical exercise as illustrative of spiritual discipline. Um, and, and for me personally, this, just in terms of this subject, sometimes you'll see people on a commercial... And here's Tom, you may not be old enough to remember, Tommy Lasorda used to be the coach of the Dodgers, and he got on some system, they were advertising, and all of a sudden this pudgy little doughboy became kind of a skinny, scrawny little guy because he had been eating whatever the food was and, you know, went on the system. But have you seen, did you see him later? He was back to being the doughboy again. <laughs> that, uh, but I'm in the situation where the Lord has given me blessing in this area compared to the past. It's been a lifelong struggle. And, you know, what happened to me personally was when I turned 50, I went to the doctor and I weighed over an eighth of a ton. And he started wanting to give me more pills. Here's the thing for your cholesterol. Here's the thing for your blood pressure. And God gave me grace to go from just from obese to just overweight, I guess. But... Um, <laughs> But the truth of the scripture will not change if you come back a year from now and I look like I used to look. 
And if God doesn't sustain me, I will go back to that or worse. It's only by the grace of God any of this happens. The other thing that I've noticed, even as I review this, is that just because I run a lot, I don't eat quite as much as I used to, I don't weigh as much as I used to, I am tempted by all these idolatries just the same. I actually coined a phrase of my struggle, and it was exercise bulimia. That is that I can, instead of binging and purging, I can binge and run. So I've got a little thing on my watch. Okay, I can eat a thousand calories, I run for an hour, it all evens out. But that can be idolatry on both ends. Idolatry of the food that I ate, idolatry of being fit. And I might be neglecting really important things while I'm running or whatever else it may be. So I'm here to show you the scriptures and... I'm in fear and trembling for myself. Um, Philippians talks, you know, so the Bible describes various sins, gluttony and overeating, that talks about people whose God is their appetite, uh, who, who set their things, their minds on earthly things. Gluttony is the excessive love of and use of food, and it's, it's making food more important than God. The other session, Tom is talking about idols. This is just one of many idols we may have. Some people it's possessions. Some people it's sex. Food can be one of those. Uh, gluttony affects you in several different ways. It can violate the sixth commandment uh, in that the Westminster uh, larger catechism enlisting the sixth commandment is thou shalt not murder. And it says it includes immodest use of meat or food is among the violations. Meaning that if, if God has given you a life, and for me, like turning 50, and this is one thing that was a consideration for me, and I want to be effective in ministry, if I drop dead 15 years earlier than necessary because of immoderate use of meat, as the confession says, then I have contributed to self-murder. If my sinful habits have given me sky-high cholesterol, sky-high blood pressure, uh, That's not good. It's also something that can be financial. uh, Estimates of $150 billion a year being spent on because people are obese. Also, there's something called metabolic syndrome, where people who are overweight have a a significant loss of energy. Um, It affects sleep. The full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep, Ecclesiastes says. In my case, I stopped snoring when I lost some weight, which probably made my marriage a better marriage. Uh, Doesn't happen to everybody. Some skinny people snore, too. Um, Gluttony can be a sin against your spouse. The body, to whom does my body belong, according to Scripture? My spouse. And it's for her enjoyment, 1 Corinthians 7, Proverbs 5. And so I should do what I can to take care of it. And if someone lets themselves go, and actually one thing that uh, we've even seen, especially some women who have been tempted to gain weight just so their husbands would leave them alone sexually, uh, deliberately, not taking care of themselves. Another aspect is people who gain weight are less interested in sex and maybe less able. So that's another way that you're causing harm. And then gluttony in the Bible is associated with other sins. You know, don't be with heavy drinkers of wine or gluttonous eaters of meat. Uh, it can lead you to bad friends. The companion of gluttons um, humiliates his father. Uh, it can lead to poverty. The heavy drunk, 
drinker and the glutton will come to poverty. Drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. And you can go all through about every counseling issue you could address in terms of depression, uh, feelings of social rejection, fear, worry over health issues, lying. Remember one time I saw a cartoon and a guy's uh, sneaking out at night to the refrigerator eating some leftover, and he said, what my wife doesn't see me eat won't make me fat. Um, But the temptation to lie to those who are even trying to help you or keep you accountable or even lying to yourself about what you're eating, Um, rationalizing, excusing, uh, self-centeredness, grumbling over the food that God is giving you. I have a right to eat this often, food that I like. You ever struggle with that? Um, gluttony, as I already said, it can shorten your life. Your body belongs to God. It was purchased with the blood of Christ. And um, it, because it belongs to Him, we should take care of it. If it again, for me, energy, you know, lower energy level, different when you're not as heavy. Uh, not all gluttons are fat. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters describes the, the mother of Wormwood's client saying all she wanted was a little piece of bread, lightly toasted, and just a little cup of tea at just the right temperature, which she sent back to the kitchen time and again, with no thought for others' inconveniences. Is a little toast and a little tea too much to ask? It's an obsession with the food that I want, just the way I want it, when I want it. Uh, You say, okay, I mean, quite frankly, I've not had dinner yet. I grabbed a a little energy bar <laughs> to get me through this. But you know, just like you find yourself like interrupting life and disturbing others because you've got to have food. Um, now, excessive devotion to physical fitness can also be sinful. Uh, pride. I've got this sexy, not I, but someone has this sexy hot body. Um, one of the worst to me is self-righteousness. And the thin person looks down on the heavy person, and I'm better than you. Again, the Beatitudes do not include, blessed are the thin, for they shall be able to boast over those who are fat. Um, It can be used living for sinful pleasures, like Peter warns, in terms of using your greater fitness to engage in sexual sin. One of the signs of adultery is significant weight loss sometimes, where all of a sudden the sinning spouse is all concerned about being attractive to the opposite sex, and the idol of food is replaced by the idol of attractiveness so that they can look hot for whoever they're trying to impress. Uh, Worry? Even worry about... We're not worried about having enough food, most of us, but just worried, am I going to get food when I want it? Is it going to be just what I like? Uh... I must have this particular diet or just making everything in your life revolve around the quest for a perfect body. And uh, this can be convicting that in terms of some people I've got to exercise. And, and if that means the whole family waits in the car while I get my four miles in before we go on a trip, they've got to wait because I do my exercise every day. Or I'm going to get up at three in the morning. I may drive us off the road at eight at night because I was up at three in the morning, but I've got to do it. Nothing can stop me. Or, I'm eating vegan, everybody eats vegan. May it never be. Meganoito. Um, so consumed with the body that you're neglecting the soul. 
or just time. Um, people spend a lot of time at the gym and running and all these things, and you can neglect more important duties. Uh, one thing I made up my mind, I, I don't do exercise on Sunday because it's the Lord's Day. I've got too much to do and it needs all my energy. I'm not saying you're not allowed to. I'm just saying that's what I've had to deal with. And then I'm not going to exercise tomorrow because <laughs> I've got a full day with you. And I don't want to wear myself out for what I have to do then. Um, but it could be a temptation when you're really into the exercise thing. Now, some get very legalistic about food. Again, forbidding others to partake of that food. Colossians 2 also talks about some making extra rules that have the appearance of wisdom. And you get these various Christian diets, right? The Garden of Eden diet or something. Well, Genesis 9 is in the Bible, so is 1 Timothy 4. If you, if you want to choose to do that, it's your freedom. But don't tell everybody else they have to do that. Uh, everything God has given us has been given to be greatly, gratefully shared in and enjoyed in moderation. Now, if you're allergic to peanuts, don't eat them. And, it, you know, moderation is an Oreo you may be able to eat to the glory of God. 35 Oreos may be sin for most of us. Um, but some can be very legalistic. And again, self-abasement, self-made religion. And it becomes a matter of self-righteousness. I am a good person because I only eat this or that. Again, if you have that diet, you want to do that, you're free to do that. Nobody can criticize you for that. It's a freedom you have. But then making it something that puts you above others. And then again, the, the fitness idolatry. Uh, and that sometimes leads to the anorexia, the bulimia. Someone's so afraid of getting fat, they don't eat or they over-exercise or purge. And then they have really messed up health problems. Um, and like I said, you can make both gluttony, <laughs> you can be both a glutton and a fitness idol at the same time. Let's say, I personally struggle with each. I love food, I like to be not fat. And so you just can be tempted to spend all your time eating or running until something breaks. Um, actually, a test for me personally. A year ago at this conference, I, was, I had a ruptured Achilles tendon that I'd ruptured running a long race. And I had to speak sitting in a chair, and I had a boot on for months. And it was a really good test. Is running an idol? Because so, running was good to me. Running made me, by God's grace, shrink. Now I can't run for months. And it was a good opportunity to smash some idols. So, um, so how can you change? Uh, you know, the, the fitness is not the issue. Food is not the issue. It is idolatry. And, and Isaiah 55, which is, Tim was talking about these kind of go-to passages that are so often used in biblical counseling. Most of you probably are familiar with this passage. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. And this passage can be used for any kind of idolatry. It could be used of, i got to have the latest electronic thing, even if I go into debt to have it. It can be used of drunkenness, drug use, sexual immorality, pornography. It uses food, and we can use food here to illustrate food. <laughs> that food is a blessing from God, but food is not a master. And, and something becomes an idol when you're willing to sin in order to get it. Or sin because you couldn't get it. And, and something that was, you know, may have been completely legitimate. It's, it's legitimate to enjoy food. It's legitimate to want food. 
But if you don't get the food you want, when you want it, the quantities you want, and, and, and you become sinfully angry, then that is the idolatry, in the, you know, the life revolving around food. Okay, So you're sitting here right now, and are you thinking about what I'm saying, or are you thinking about what you're going to eat when we're done? Yeah, that, and if your mind is constantly thinking about that, talking about that, and then upset if you don't get exactly what you want, it's turning to God when you should, I mean, turning to the food when you should turn to God. And, and the picture here is an image of that, that God is saying, I am offering you for free, and, and it's in Christ I'm offering this to you. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. And, and what people do is they turn to their idols when they're stressed. They turn to their idols for comfort. You've heard the expression comfort food. The world uses that expression. And so, kind of like Tim was describing, you have the hard day, and you're, you're exhausted, and, and you know, there's a commercial. You deserve a break today. Now, in my opinion, McDonald's would not solve that for me, but that was their, their tagline. And but you're, Whatever your food idol might be, you say, boy, man, you know, I know I have in the refrigerator two more Haagen-Dazs chocolate bars dipped in almonds. And I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, this has been such a hard day. I deserve one of those puppies. And I'm yearning for that. And, and I'm looking to that to make me feel better. I'm looking that to make me happy. When in my heart, if my heart is aching, and I'm worn out, and I'm sad, and I'm stressed... There's nothing wrong with eating a Haagen-Dazs bar, but that's not my comfort. My comfort is in God alone, and I need to learn to turn in that moment to God. And then I can decide whether to eat the chocolate bar, and there are other considerations there. But learning, and when, you're, when you're saying, food makes me feel better, that's how you become obese. <laughs> when you look, or you start binging and purging, whatever else. But when you're looking to food to do for you what only God can do, which is to comfort your soul, to relieve your stress, to bring you joy of heart. When you do that, you become a food idolater, and it's going to mess up your life. And I'm not talking about theoretically. I'm saying, I know. Okay? I really, really know. Uh, for me, a lot of the, the weight that I gained before God gave me grace to lose most of it was when we had great trouble with our kids as they became adults, and they turned from the Lord, and I lost discipline in eating. And I remember looking at food as something that would make me feel better. But just like this, it didn't ever do it, right? That's the, Tim said the same thing, is that your idols have never once satisfied you. Just like the, the stone and the sticks in Israel, I never ate three Haagen-Dazs bars. I don't think I ever had three, but let's say I did. You know, you've never eaten gluttonously. And then said, boy, that really satisfied my soul. That really... You wake up in the morning and say, I'm so glad I did that. No, you tossed and turned all night because your gut was too full and you're hot and you're miserable. And you step on the... You, actually, you, you haven't stepped on the scale in a long time because this has been going on. These idols destroy you. And the answer... I mean, there may be practical put-off, put-on answers. We're going to talk about the answers quickly in a moment. But, but the answer isn't just to say, I'm going to have a diet, and I'm going to follow these rules. And The answer is, I need to learn a new pattern of thinking. 
that I need to learn when I'm tempted to make food an idol, to use food when I should be turning to God. There needs to be a new pattern in my life. And the Psalm 34, 8, where it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. I have had experiences in my life when I've been tempted to turn to these idols and for comfort. And God gave me the grace instead to go to the Word, have fellowship with another believer, pray, and I, my soul was satisfied. And you need to learn that, that God will satisfy you. doesn't mean you're not allowed to eat. doesn't mean your foods are restricted and no, no Christian's allowed to have chocolate or something. There's no rule like that. But you're not going to be turning to that idolatrously, which just leaves you sick and miserable. It's never made... That idolatry has never satisfied you anyway. So, how do you change? And this is really... Oh, this is another passage, actually, along with Isaiah, I should mention, where, where God is, is telling Israel through Ezekiel also that they have set up idols in their hearts. And this is, you've, you've heard books and lectures, idols of the heart. Not all idols are made out of sticks and stones and all of this metal. It's the heart idols that we set up are the most dangerous idols. Very few of you probably go home and worship a statue. Probably none of you, I hope. <laughs> but we do have idols in our television sets, in our refrigerators, in our computers. And those idols need to be destroyed every bit as much as the other idols do. So, how does this happen? And, uh, again, this is the, another verse that brings it out. My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves broken cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water. The idols don't do the job. So, food is not the problem. Your heart is the problem. How can you change? And this is the part where I'm going to go a bit into summary mode. One reason is tomorrow we're going to give you a booklet, Lord willing, at least one per couple, that looks like this, that summarizes... The material I'm going to, this does in detail the material I'm going to summarize in terms of a summary of how biblical change takes place. It ties in with what Tim is doing as well. Just that change begins with understanding who you are in Christ and understanding who He is to you. Change begins with the gospel. And it was, Tim was illustrating that with his trip home. I'll bring it up some here, but it's not just the law that's going to change you. The law will not the law could not justify you and the law cannot sanctify you by itself. It doesn't mean we tossed out all rules, but the law rules are incapable of, of enabling you to live in this area or any other area of your life in a manner that pleases God. It's what Christ has done for you in the gospel, your realization of that that's going to transform your life. And, and the change we want is unique. You know, our, our goal isn't just to be thin. <laughs> our goal is to present every man complete in Christ, his love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Our goal is not to impress people, but it's whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, doing it to the glory of God. And we understand that it's not what you eat that's sin. It's your heart that's sin. And the passage we use a lot, another one of the go-to passages in Mark seven fourteen to 23 where Jesus is explaining to them, it's not what comes into you that makes you unclean, but it's out of your heart that uncleanness comes. That 
food can't make you unclean. And, and using Tim's diagrams, the heat can't make you sin. Uh, the heat reveals what's in your heart. And, and so it's not food. There's, there's no, Jesus declared all foods clean. There's no food that can make you sin. But your heart attitude is what brings about the sin, the idolatry of the food. So you can't blame the food. I used to joke and say, well, the reason I'm heavy is because my wife is an amazing cook, and she also likes affirmation. And so if I only eat a little bit, she thinks there's nothing good there. And um, Those were lame excuses. You can't blame your wife any more than you can blame food. It's, it's an issue of the heart, and therefore it's the heart that must be changed. Um, and so and then this, the uniqueness of our change, it's inward. And, and so success isn't that you've gotten down to your goal weight. You may never get there. And you may li- be living a life pleasing to God, even though the chart you looked up at your doctor's office or on the internet doesn't match where you are. The goal is that inwardly you're looking upon food as a gift from God, subordinated to His glory. It's, a, it's not your idol. It's not what you live for, nor is fitness, by the way. Um, and then the other stuff will work itself out. You know, if you seek first His kingdom, all these things will be added to you. Now, for them, it was we're starving. Yes, God will give us food. If you seek first His kingdom... I think other issues related to the body also will generally work themselves out. If you've really turned away from the idol to serve God, over time things will get better. It does take some effort and some grace. But again, the law alone won't change you. Paul says to the Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the law? And what Tim will point out and what my booklet points out is in the Bible, uh, there are many commands In the New Testament, there are many commands. But the pattern in the New Testament is before we're told what to do, we're told what God has done. And what God has done is the foundation for and what empowers us to do the commands that come later. And so, Ephesians 1-3, to here's what God did for you in the Gospel. Therefore, be united. Husbands, love your wives. Forgive each other. And even those commands are... He keeps going back to what he said in the first three chapters that as a husband understands how Christ has loved the church, that makes him not... It, it, it produces in him a love for his wife. So it, the change scripturally begins with the gospel. I think many biblical counselors even have been guilty, even like looking at an obese person or an anorexic or bulimic or whatever. Well, let's make a chart, write down everything you eat and write down what you should eat. And I'm not saying you never do that. I'm saying you don't do it first. That... First, there needs to be a heart which embraces the gospel. And, and the gospel isn't just a, a, something that you need when you get saved and then you put it on the shelf. But you need the gospel daily. It's, it's as important for your sanctification as for uh, your justification. Um, and again, by the way, in this case, you knew the law all along, right? Okay, I knew when I weighed more than an eighth of a ton that the law of obesity is eat less, exercise more. My problem wasn't that I didn't know the rules. My problem was I was miserably failing in keeping the law. I needed grace. And so certain truths are important. One is 
Thanks be to God that the basis of your acceptance by God is not how well you've kept the law or how thin you are, but that you've been accepted because of the virtue of Christ. We have a righteousness not of our own, which came through law-keeping, a righteousness which comes from God through faith. And if you drop 50 pounds, God will not love you any more than He does today. You will not be any more accepted by God than you are today. And, and yet such love should motivate you to turn to Him and away from your idol. That's amazing. You mean He'll love me just as much even if I'm overweight? Yes. But it's not to say, great, I'll get more overweight. Such love compels me to love in return. I want to know more of that love. And likewise, you know, what matters is not what other people think of you, but your status with God. Craig gets all the credit for the funny pictures. The, the, you know, some of us, our, our concern, even our motive, is the fear of man. I don't want people to think I'm not attractive by what is the culture. Maybe the president's wife will visit where I work and she'll point at me or something. I don't know. Um, So that's not the issue. And also, your identity, again, people in the world tend to, or even new Christians, you were tempted to identify by your label of your sin. I am an alcoholic. I am this. I am a fatty or I am, you know, whatever language you want to use. Well, no, such were you, this is the passage. Whatever your sin was, not just homosexuality and adultery and thieving, but gluttons, drunkards, that now that I'm in Christ, I have a new identity in Christ. And then, most importantly, you know, I'm a new creature in Christ. Many of you are familiar. The first command in the book of Romans is chapter 6, verse 11. The first imperative is consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. I don't have time to go through Romans 6 exhaustively. I do a little better job in here. Point in Romans 6 is after he spent five and a half chapters describing how in spite of our total depravity, God in His sovereign grace gave His Son to redeem us from our sin, propitiate God's wrath, that we would be saved by faith alone. And the objection comes, well, if it's by faith alone, and the more we sin, the more God's grace is shown, said, shall we go on sinning? May it never be. No, and, and Paul's point is going to be in Romans 6, that how shall we who died to sin still live in it? What Paul is saying is the gospel, rightly understood, makes you more holy. And as you realize that your old self has died, and, and your, your, your old self died with Christ. You have a status as a new self raised with Christ. And then the second analogy is a slavery. You were once a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to righteousness. Just like drunkenness is something that enslaves people, pornography enslaves people, gluttony enslaves people, doesn't it? And I think sometimes as a glutton, you're, you're tempted to think, I just can't help myself. I just can't help myself to overeat. That's who I am. And the gospel says that's not true. You've been set free from every form of sin. You've been set free from every form of idolatry because of Christ. And something that, the fact that he's saying this is you need to remember who you are. Instead of giving yourself the identity as I'm a person who turns to food for comfort and eat too much and I'm hopeless, 
is that Christ has set me free from that slavery. It's the Emancipation Proclamation and all of that. I've been emancipated from that slavery that once dominated me. I need to realize my status is that I am set free. No temptation will overtake me, but what is common to me, God is faithful. He will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I am able, not even by a buffet. (laughs) But with the temptation will provide a way of escape. And so... This is, it, it's about the gospel. So, well, what about these guys on The Biggest Loser? I, I watch that show, it depresses me, but I watch it and uh, I see people lose all this weight and they're not doing it because of the gospel. No, they're idol exchangers. <laughs> they, they're, there's a collection of people that in order to be on TV and succeed and get prizes and perhaps being sexually attractive and accepted they're willing to give up the idol of food to gain those other idols but they're worshiping idols just the same and none of that is pleasing to god the the, the natural man is incapable of pleasing god all he can do is choose among which idols he will serve all of which is abhorrent to god a believer can completely turn from idols and find his satisfaction in the living god and then can eat and drink in moderation eating to the glory of God in a way that would be healthy and good for one's body uh, by the power that God gives him. And so it's, it's different. It might outwardly to somebody else look the same. But our motivation is different. And whatever is not of faith also we're told is sin in Hebrews. Um, so... Our change is not through self-reliance and self-help. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. And if you're convinced, given that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you've struggled with being a food idolater, however that works itself out, Jesus would say, you have absolutely no power to do this on your own. That as you abide in Him, you can do what He's called you to do. Day by day, by His grace, with humble dependence upon Him, He can strengthen you to do that which pleases the Lord. This is not the most important thing in all the world. Sometimes the world makes you think it is. It's not the most important thing, but it is something. Um, So it's understanding your union in Christ... Uh, which is the key to growth and holiness. I've kind of summarized Romans 6 already, so I'm not going to go through that now because of time. And it's in the booklet, and I gave it two years ago here as well. (laughs) But you're living in light of who you are. I am a new creature in Christ. No idol can boss me around. I've genuinely been set free. Um, And so how does it work it out in practical terms? it's, It's back to... Isaiah 55, it's back uh, to how do I think, remembering that my idols lie. They say, I'm going to make you happy. I'm going to satisfy you. I'm going to relieve your stress. I'm going to comfort you. They don't. They never will. But Christ does satisfy us. And you know, He is the one who says, you know, He gives us His flesh to eat and His blood to drink that we might have life, and that's not literal as some might claim, but the idea is 
Christ is the one who satisfies us. We feed by faith on Him. He is the one who gives us the living water that when you drink it, you'll never thirst again. And these pictures that Jesus gives of satisfaction. And uh, uh, Mike Cleveland talks about it as learning to eat at the Lord's table. Learning to feast on the spiritual delicacies that God has given us in Christ and to find our joy and satisfaction in these doesn't mean you give up all the other kind of eating altogether, but now you're using the other kind of eating to fuel your body and not to satisfy your empty soul. There's not enough food in the world to satisfy your empty soul. But Christ will satisfy that empty soul. Um, so it's how you think. Now, along with that, we're responsible to exert effort. Um, it begins with the gospel, but just like in the epistles, he begins with what God has done for us, but then there are also corresponding commands that grow out of the soil of the gospel. Um, and you know, Paul in, in Romans 6, after he said the first command, which is consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ, remember who you are, remember what God has done for you, remember your new identity, he then says, don't go on presenting the members of your body as sin, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now your members means your body part, and I will include your mouth. <laughs> your mouth doesn't have to be an instrument of sin anymore. It doesn't have to be an instrument of trying to feed on physical food to satisfy your soul. You can use your mouth to enjoy to the glory of God enough food to satisfy your physical needs because you're finding your spiritual needs met where they were always supposed to be met. So, as you know, repentance is acknowledging the sin of idolatry. Uh, I can't tell you what weight you're supposed to be or how much you can eat. I can tell you that if in your heart you're misusing food, and, it's affecting, and especially as it affects your health, that can be confessed to God and as you repent of that, then you turn away from that and you turn to Him. Again, it could be, by the way, some of us, it could be living for fitness. And my life's goal is to be a thin person who can run marathons really fast and qualify the Boston Marathon. That means I don't go to church on Sunday because I'm running and I don't spend time with my kids because I'm running and I work out at the gym and I look great to everybody, but you're still as much of an idolater as the glutton. Um, you could be, you know, over pickiness. Uh, again, affecting your body, affecting your testimony, affecting your ministry. The pride of thinking you can do it on your own. And then learning to use the means that God has given you to resist. God has given you ways of escape. Understanding how temptation works. In James 1, that lust conceived gives birth to sin and sin results in death. Now, that conception is a good one in the picture. We're in favor of those. Especially for married people. But the conception that James is talking about is as you start thinking about something in your desires, it, it sooner or later comes out in an action which is sinful. 
and that could be of lust, like I said, or drunkenness. But here with food, again, if, if you start thinking of food in the wrong way, I need this to be happy. I need this to satisfy me. I feel badly. I deserve this. And it's not going to stay conceived for long, is it? It's going to give birth into a box of Oreos or two double-doubles or a triple-triple or whatever it is for second dinners or something like that. So we learn to resist and to abort the desire. When the desire comes, don't wait till you've got your hand in the fridge. It's a matter of when you see the desire and how it's tempting you, then to say, I... I, it's only God who can satisfy me. Why do I want this? Do I want it because I need some food? Or do I want it because I want this to do for me what only God can? And if need be, take radical steps. If your right eye makes you stumble, don't stock Oreos. <laughs> Hot, whatever it is. Um, I know for myself, uh, mo- in the South, there are lots of buffets. And I've vis- when I visit the South, I have to kind of avoid those because I get this idea in my mind, you know, I've paid $12 to eat here and I'm going to make sure they, re- they regret having let me in. <laughs> and I can do it. Um, so there may be things... I can't tell you what those are. I can't tell you how many Oreos you're allowed to eat or whether you should have haagen bars or whether you should go to buffet, but I, I love the principle in Romans fourteen twenty three. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Can I eat this with thankfulness to the glory of God in a good conscience? Then enjoy it. But if in my conscience I'm saying, I know I've already had enough, I may be using this for comfort, don't eat it. So it's, it's not some man-made rule of how many calories per day or what food you can and can't eat. and It's... Eating in faith, giving thanks to God is the only eating you should do. And if we did that, we'd look pretty good. I think most of us. So, we want to glorify God. Denying ungodliness, uh, living righteously, and then positively learning to feast on God. The deer longs for the streams of water, which is the satisfaction God gives. And God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Proverbs 9 actually has two banquets Madame Folly has a banquet, which I'll say now is one of her banqueting uh, dishes is gluttony, along with drunkenness and immorality. But Lady Wisdom also has a banquet, pictured in food, but it would include eating to the glory of God in moderation and not finding your satisfaction in food. So feasting spiritually and depending, you know, expressing thanksgiving to God, dependence upon God, learning contentment um, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am even if my wife wants to go to soup plantation where there is no meat to be content when, when you're in the midst of poverty um, or when Brussels sprouts show up at the dinner table or some, which actually that would not happen in my house thankfully but you get invited over right that can, you know, what, now maybe some of you will invite me over for Brussels sprouts. It's, it's happened. But to be content and not to be consumed. But also to be content with the body you have, okay? Some people are by nature fire plugs. Some people by nature are bean poles. And there's not a lot either one of them can do to massively transform that. But aren't you glad, you know, to be, just to be thankful, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And if it's not as tall or whatever, it's more stout than I like, there, there's a level of, con, you know, 
I'm content. And I'm thankful. It's what God decided. Uh, wanting to honor God. You know, yes, self-control. Uh, my body has been bought with a price. I want to honor Him in that. And the motive being, after God's grace has been shown to me, uh, I want to express appreciation to Him. And then one day we will all have perfect bodies. And it's not going to be something we achieve by our works. Not by running, not by eating grass or whatever these people want you to eat. But by grace, our bodies will one day be be transformed. And we look forward to that. And all this will not have seemed all that important. Uh, Practically, don't do crazy things without seeing a doctor. Plans can be good. The plans of the diligent lead to advantage. It's not wrong. What do I need? And uh, We have a whole lot of freedom when it comes to eating. But making plans according to your own conscience is wise. My own advice would be you know, eating slowly, being thankful. And then my advice is just, I think it's much easier to decide how you should live according to your own conscience and live that way starting now than do something nutty that may knock the weight off, and then as soon as you're done, you go back to the way you were living before, and you gain it all back. And that's so much. Remember Oprah? Remember one time she runs out, and she's a little skinny Oprah, and she's run a marathon. <laughs> that's all over, isn't it? Right? It, what good does it do? You know, so how would I, as best I can tell, how can I eat, not eat to, you know, eat to live, not live to eat, all the different phrases, but how can I eat to the glory of God, what would be right for me in moderation, and exercise whatever the combination is and just seek to establish a lifestyle I can live with for many, many years rather than trying to do something radical that isn't sustainable. That's just practical advice. Um, Accountability can be helpful, but beware of extra-biblical rules. It can be a good thing, more fit for service. Others may be affected by a godly example, but... Give God the glory. I'm I'm not going to go through the last section. I'll just summarize it in terms of, well, what determines whether this works? And I had people coming to me and and say, wow, what did you do? Uh, You know, you've lost all this weight. And, you know, in our culture, that's like a real big success thing. It's like winning the lottery or something. You lost some weight and everybody's praising you. I've said before, I felt like kind of Herod and Acts when the people said, the voice of a God and not a man. Like if I didn't give glory to God, the worms were going to eat me. Or I'd gain 80 pounds or something that I have no idea why I changed in one sense. It's God's sovereign grace giving personal revival in an area of my life where I'd been failing for several years. I became an expert in failure. So many times I tried to do the things I knew to do and I was not able. Now, did I understand the gospel better? That helped me? Maybe so. All I can say, though, glory is to God alone. If if you change, it's by the grace of God. And thanks be to God, if you're in Christ, whether you change or not, you're in the grace of God. And, and, and the measure of your status with God is simply His righteousness to you. But it's something, it's, it's like the movement of the Spirit. It's a mystery when God does these things and how He does it. We can apply the means of the Word, one another, prayer, uh, mutual encouragement. But it's in God's hands. I'd also encourage you to not wrongfully judge those who aren't doing as well. Or maybe may for reasons physical, medications, body type. They may be less gluttonous than you, even though you look better physically than they do. This is, and, and, and the other aspect is if you're doing well or if you experience improvement, this does not give you grounds on which you can stand above others and say, well, I am more righteous than you because I've done this, that, and the other. 
you know, I have a decent memory, photo, photographic evidence of my failures in this area, and I'm thankful to God for His mercy. I'm thankful that God, God's people were so merciful to me that I wasn't judged when I wasn't anywhere near where I should be. So, food in the Bible has an importance. It's a symbol of our need for God. Certainly, everything pertaining to the body, we want to be to His glory. It's founded in the gospel, who we are in Christ. We have responsibility to be faithful. But it's only God's grace that will give us success. I've given the illustration before of you know, Peter walking on water. You know that For me to stop eating so much and to exercise more, I knew I was supposed to do it, but I had no ability. It would be like me jumping out of the boat. I would sink. But Peter, how could he get to Christ? It was a miraculous work of God that Peter, with his inability to walk on water, among a lot of other things, was able to walk. As his eyes were fixed on Christ, God gave him grace to do something entirely out of his capability. And in my mind, that's illustrative of, of biblical change. Is we're looking to Christ, but you also can't sit in the boat and wait for him to drag you out of it. He says, come, you come. You, you do the things the Bible says God would have you to do, but complete dependence upon Him, and if it's done, it's to His glory, and if you look away, you'll sink. Uh, I've overstayed my time, so I will close in prayer, and if you have questions or comments how I could do this better, I'll be happy to stay after and hear what you have to say. Let me pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You that each one of us who is in Christ has a perfect status before You. And then in a world which judges people according to outward appearance, we thank you, not just that you look at the heart, but that you look at our hearts and you see the perfect righteousness of Christ, which we have received by your grace. And yet I also know, even from personal experience, that to struggle with food issues can be a great burden. There can be shame and frustration and discouragement. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters here who struggle or want to help others, help us to help one another compassionately, And Lord, I I do pray that as as they see their identity in Christ, that we're not in bondage, that we can turn away from the idolatry of food, and that we can find satisfaction in the living God, and then eat and drink to your glory. And Lord, even for some who struggle with health issues, Lord, give help and give grace and give strength. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2012, IBCD, All Rights Reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.